What happens when high school students decide our topics, ask our questions, tell our stories, find our voices? It's the Face to Face Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Face to Face Podcast. Today I'm joined by Brian Bucky, Mr. Brian Bucky. <laughs> and my name's Hunter. Uh, on this episode, we will be discussing the history of rock and roll. Just to start out, just so I can, like, you know, put into perspective, like, what are you, like, I want to say, like, top three bands, but, like, I'm sure someone who's <laughs> been listening to, like, yeah. music, especially rock, that might be a little bit hard to, like, pin down. It is, and if anybody heard the previous podcast I was on about talking about metal, it's it's really tough to even, like, I have a lot of bands I follow. I like a lot of music, but I do like a lot of different genres of rock and roll, too, so that's why it's almost easier to pin it into a genre and go... Well, I like that in that genre. I like that in genre. So it is very hard for me to give you a a top three of any genre. Really, I can get I can generally get a top five. How but about it's hard. Uh, what was like maybe the first band that introduced you uh, into rock? All right, so that's interesting because when I talked about it in metal, about what was the first band it was pretty easy. It was Choir Riot. It was the first metal band that I remember that really made me. Them and Van Halen were the two like. All right, I like this louder, a little harder stuff, right? Uh, but before that, what's kind of funny is when you know when I was like eight, nine, ten, I was listening to Michael Jackson and Prince and, and stuff like that. And my parents really, you know, they're very music oriented, so they they had records, you know, real vinyl albums, you know, and they would play them. And you know, there'd be like I remember the Grease album as being one big one, and you know, they had albums and so they would play them and they would have stuff like, you know, they're big beach boys, Chicago, mm-hmm. trying to think of another big one that they, they almost always, Oh, Beatles. They love the Beatles. Occasionally the stones, generally those bands I steer away from because like most kids, you don't like what your parents like, you know, but, but they were the, the basis for, you know, when I hear those songs, I think instantly of my, any, any of those songs from any of those, what I just said, instantly think of my parents cat stevens even was in there i it's weird i just heard a cat stevens song this uh weekend and i instantly thought of my parents it was like oh cat stevens i know that and i'm sure most people don't even know who cat stevens is he's actually has changed his name and actually didn't he pass away he might have passed away this last year actually but the name was always like rung true in my head like cat stevens and being a little kid probably like five six something about cat stevens made me laugh because he's not a cat (laughs) (laughs) although he's a cool cat he wasn't a cat so yeah, that kind of like started like getting me kind of used to rock and roll music, but I do have a top three of something. So huh. I remember I had cousins, I had older cousins. So I'm like on my mom's side of the family, I'm like in the middle or towards the bottom half of the 36 cousins that I have. And some of them are much older. And I remember we were at a wedding. I was probably like nine, 10. And I remember their, their record, you know, they're teenagers at this time and they had these record lineups. And this is probably like 79, 80 somewhere in there and there were three albums that did stick out to me though i was just like this is cool like is there was something about rock and roll and uh, the three albums were uh elton john's yellow brick road which if you've ever seen the cover it kind of opens up it's a double record it's got a lot of artwork and it's kind of like almost cartoonish you know it's like drawn you know mm-hmm. and uh as a kid that kind of appealed to me uh the second one was kiss destroyer and kiss became one of my, eventually was like one of my favorite bands. And I actually used to be part of the Kiss Army, which is their 
fan club when fan clubs were kind of a big deal, right? You would get like a Kiss Army patch you could put on your jacket. You know, Kiss Army was like a big deal, especially in the 80s, in the 70s. It just kind of stood out like I'm a fan of Kiss, you know. Mm-hmm. Like um, a like which, a battle jacket? Yeah, well, you know, because metalheads used to have jackets. I had one, and I used to have, like, Iron Maiden on the back, and I had, like, Megadeth and Metallica patches, and, you know, your bands you represented. It was kind of like a, almost like a letter jacket for metal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a jean jacket just like what Anton's wearing right now. I mean, and then you just put stuff on it. It was pretty cool, you know. Uh, oh, so shoot. Kiss Destroyer, if you ever seen the cover of that thing, it's pretty artistic. It's the four guys, you know, and... As a kid, you love that, like the makeup, who are these people? And they're like four people that from out of this world, and they're like in flames, and like they're on this like unworldly planet, and it's just called Destroyer. And for some reason, that cover, like, I remember it. I actually own the album, too, so it was, it's kind of neat. It's a good album. Uh, and then the third one was Meatloaf, Bat Out of Hell, uh. which has also got a really crazy artwork. This guy, like, flying out of hell or what, you know, some art artist who had drawn it or painted it. And this guy in this, like, motorcycle, like, this chopper, like, flying out of hell or whatever. So those three kind of stood out. And album covers are kind of a big part of rock and roll. At least it used to be. It's becoming less and less. There are bands who still do that stuff. But that was always part of rock and roll. One of my favorite parts of it is the album, you know, and the art that goes with it. So anyways, that's how it kind of got into more rock, I guess. Because, like I said, it was more into pop. But pop uh, actually technically is part of rock and roll. So, So, um. I think we should probably like get into the uh, you know the, yeah the nitty gritty the meat and potatoes <laughs> of this topic. So I know that rock itself was a very vast genre that was it was influenced by a lot of other things. But I want to like really like get down to like the main point of like what was the first really spark of rock and roll music? Sure, yeah. I mean, there is debate on that of all the different types of like who came first, who did this first. I mean, I mean there's really no debate. Along the ways that the blues are really the true essence of rock and roll and that, you know, that's where it started. And really bands started hearing blues and then those future bands, you know, wouldn't like that's what they liked and they just kind of expanded on it. So the blues was something that was very, you know, you, back that back in the early in the thirties and the twenties and you know, we're talking about the nineteen twenties and the nineteen thirties, right? You know, they would have it in you know, they would just be playing it out in in, in like a hall. You know, or they play it outside, or and people played it for their own music, right? And they didn't really put it on albums until, well, until they could. And, you know, it was mostly just big band music is what you heard the most. And then you had your singers, and that wasn't rock and roll. So it's interesting. Rock and roll as a whole is now very vast. But at one point, you would just call that rock and roll music. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a genre. I mean, the genre split off eventually as more and more people get involved into rock and roll and then they change it, right? So it evolves. So rock and roll starts from the blues, basically. So that's where the core is. And actually, to this day, when you hear anything new, really even anything new, there are some basic beats, chords, way people sing. It still goes all the way back to those old-time blues players, you know, that just kind of set set the basis for it. So then when you get into real rock and roll, like what we would consider the beginnings of rock and roll. You have people like the icons like Elvis Presley, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh, I always forget his name. Um, guitar player. Uh, Chuck Berry? Chuck Berry. I don't know why. I can never remember Chuck Berry when I need to. Like I can see him in my head and can't say his name sometimes. Yeah, Chuck Berry. Those guys were, you know, really, those were the, that was that first wave of radio on radio rock and roll what we would consider rock and roll. And then there was a whole bunch of people who just kind of were considered rock and roll, like uh, 
Chubby Checkers? Well, yeah, of course he was. He was definitely, but you know, they used the piano a lot more. Rockability, rockability, not ability, rockability is what they kind of called it. And it was very piano and guitar heavy, but the guitars were barely in the, I mean, you'd get a few people who knew what they were doing. Chuck, not Chuck Dale. Um, oh, his last name's Dale. Um, he's the one who did like the surf, started the surfing part of the guitar. Like made, it sounded like surfer music and that's where the Beach Boys kind of got mm-hmm. inspired to do that. I think it's Chuck Dale, Chip Dale, something like that. He died not too long ago, too. He was kind of an innovator when it came to guitar work. But Chuck Berry was like, he is the man when it comes to guitar playing early on. Anyways, so it goes from there. You have those early icons like Chuck Berry and Elvis, obviously. But they were just playing the blues. That's what all they were doing. <laughs> they just did it a little faster, a little louder, made more of a scene. you know. And rock and roll was looked at as something really bad, actually, at first. It's kind of hard to believe that, but... The devil's music. Devil's music. And uh, so Lemmy from Motorhead in his documentary had one of the in- most interesting quotes, and I'll never forget that, that he was just like, I remember when there was no rock and roll. Like he was born early enough and remembered when there wasn't. And I was like thinking, wow, yeah. I mean, rock and roll is still is pretty young. Like it's not that old still. Like we can really go back and really see the history of it. It doesn't take much. It's not that long ago. And But he like lived at the be- before there was rock and roll. And it's interesting that he became a big part of it, but just for someone to say that, I remember it. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't, you know, I don't remember what it was like without rock and roll, but he does. They, it was just big band. That's all you heard. It was just kind of orchestra, like, you know. So Yeah. Uh, so I think with like uh, the whole, the blues roots mm-hmm. and that, you know, the whole like just playing faster, playing heavier, whatnot. Another part that I really gotten into after talking with our uh, music teacher, Dave, mm, yes. is. He knows um, a lot. He knows a lot too, yeah is uh, the European influence on mm. blues and how that mm. was a really big, you know, evolution in what we know as rock and roll today. Yeah, absolutely. Like, whereas in America, the blues was, you know, to be honest, was a certain culture in America. African-Americans were basically the ones who were playing it. They are also the ones who were listening to it. And really, white America didn't really listen to it until probably you had people like... Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and even Chuck Berry. I mean, Chuck Berry, even though he was African-American, you know, like he was playing the music a little differently. So they, they caught on to that for sure. They were all for it. But uh, previously, uh, though, they weren't – people here didn't listen to the blues. But if you went over to England, oh, it was huge. You know, all the English people were really big in the blues. And that's why you end up getting people like, you know, if you – the Beatles had a lot of interviews, and they're always – they would get asked what their influences were. They're – Absolutely, every one of their influences was a blues singer, player, every one of them. They met Elvis infamously, and they didn't really get along, you know. But they also didn't care. I mean, they their heroes were all the blues players that came before. Uh, one that I'm still a uh, buddy guy who's still around, I think. I think he's still plugging away. He's still an original blues guy. Like, he's... He's 90-something, and he, he was one of the original, you know, not originators, but he was one of those that transferred blues into rock music, so to speak, and still plays to this day, and he's in his 90s. Guy is like a, he's an anomaly. <laughs> you can still go see him on tour. I know some, I have a few people, who, friends who have seen him not that long ago, and he still plays great. But they were hugely influenced by the blues. Um, and then they had, had it on the radio station, so that's why. I mean, whatever's on the radio is usually what influences people because that's what they're hearing because it's free, right? Nowadays, everybody pays for everything, or 
YouTube it. Uh, it was different back then. You only listened to the radio. And so if you heard it, that's, you know, you had to get on there. And as soon as you got on there, then people started liking or not liking you, you know. And for the English, they were all about the blues. So you have Zeppelin, Stones, Beatles, Cream. Um, there's all those great older bands, even Black Sabbath to some extent. They're huge blues fans, and you can tell on their music. It's very heavy, real bass-driven, and real heavy, but essentially the blues. So I think now, like, I kind of want to, like, you know, jump a little bit forward into time with, like, how rock essentially born in the U.S., migrated mm-hmm. to Western Europe. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to talk about, like, the time when, like, you know, it kind of came back, basically. Came back to America, you mean? Yeah. All right. So, like, well, well, we had the blues, and then we had what we called, like, rockabilly here. And then you have these British bands, which they call the British Invasion, mm-hmm. so to speak. And, you know, and you have the Who. I forgot about the Who. I mean, the Who is a big part of that, too. The Who, the Beatles, the Stones, eventually Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, I mean, the list goes on about all these British bands that came over here, and they all wanted, they all aspired to come to America too, because you know, as being blues fans, they wanted to come here, right? But they call that the British invasion. But there is different waves of British music that have come over. I mean, it comes and goes, and they have their own top one hundred too. So it doesn't. It's weird how it doesn't align exactly with America. There are definitely examples of Americans who didn't do well here, but did well there, mm-hmm. and there's examples of. British people who didn't do well in Britain and then came here. So it's, it is interesting what they like and what we like. And when we probably would consider us very similar, right? But they aren't. It's, it's really interesting. That is an interesting part of the music, especially rock music or pop music, even for that matter, that what works there and doesn't work here or what doesn't work here works there. It's strange. But they had these little invasions, like, so to speak. They were these groups of people who are about the same age start making the same kind of music. I mean, you see it with the 60s rock. You saw it again in the 70s rocks. When you had, like, these super groups like Supertramp or Peter Frampton. Yeah, I mean, and then you had it in the 80s again with people like George Michael and Wham and Frankie Goes to Hollywood and the Pet Shop Boys. I mean, you had these, like, new wave bands that came over, see, over here then. They were big in England, and they came over here, and they worked here, too. Depeche Mode. Oh, I think, I can't remember if they're British or not. That one evades me. I can't remember if Depeche Mode is British. I'm pretty sure, but I'm not positive on that. They could be German, <laughs> which you rarely get bands out of. They're bigger. You get a lot of metal bands that come out of Germany, and especially Scandinavia and stuff like that, although you, plenty of pop bands come out of there too. Anyways, you have these different waves. Every decade seems to get them. Even the 90s did, which is probably the last, last big decade of music change, I would say, evolution. You don't see it as much anymore. I mean, I will say the 2000s. We're probably going to get to that, but the 2000s has kind of plateaued a little bit, I would say. That's like a another big thing that a lot of like older rock fans like love to, you know, talk about is the topic of really just the phenomenon of rock is dead. Ah, so I yes. kinda wanna talk about that just a bit more about like really uh like post nineties rock and Mm-hmm. You know, what th- what role it played in the development and how people listen to it and whatnot. Well, I mean, I can tell you that they've been asking that question for decades, probably since Elvis, actually. <laughs> like, after his rock did, you know. I mean, I feel like that question was asked a lot, and it was always towards the end. It always seemed like it was always towards the end of a decade. You get, get to the middle of a decade for whatever reason, and I would say every decade has a huge change in the music, or there's always a new genre. And obviously, 
when you only start with the music being this big and it starts branching out, I mean, literally the history, we've watched it happen in less than 100 years, right? So it starts branching out because people have different ideas and they change the music. And I've always thought, you know, I'm a 70s kid, 70s, 80s, and so it wasn't like maybe in the 90s is when I was certain thinking like, when am I going to finally hear a song that just sounds the same all the time? Like I'm just hearing nothing new, right? Because mm-hmm. you feel like how can they keep making a song different, right? Or at least I've had those thoughts, right? Well, that's that whole idea of rock and roll is dead because about every middle of every decade, it always seemed like it would saturate out whatever genre or whatever style was kind of popular. It happened with just about every genre. It gets kind of stale for a second, and then there's a resurgence, and those resurgence or something new happens, and that's why I kind of said earlier, like the 90s might be the last real decade of anything new because the music was different. It wasn't much different than the 80s, but it is different. Like I can hear, you can hear the difference from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, then to the 2000s. And so the question was always asked every decade, probably around the middle of every decade, and it always gets, it always would have a um, a big response in the way at the end of the decade, you'd always get like these bands that kind of like made you go, oh yeah, no, rock and, rock and roll ain't dead. And it's not going anywhere, you know? And I think now that it has a base, in my opinion, I don't know if it ever will be dead. I mean, I think people will always go back. I mean, I did it. Even when I was a kid, I eventually wanted to know what was first, what was before what I like. So I'd like modern bands. And then, well, what about Led Zeppelin? Well, let me go listen to them. You know, what about The Who? And what about, you know, previous bands, well before the bands that I liked? And they, I think people do that every decade. I mean, I've only been teaching here 15 years. And in the 15 years, and you know, I have kids who will, I really, really like modern music or whatever, you know, whatever that may be. And then, but I, I will always have kids that like to go back and see, well, I want to hear this stuff from the nineties or I want to hear what the eighties was. And I think that's, will continue. It'll always go back. You know, it's a good thing about rock. Yeah. A lot of these icons are dying and they're dead and you won't be able to see them live, but their music always lives on. And with radio and with, I guess not necessarily radio because that would be another question is whether radio is dead or not, but it's just evolved. That's another point where I want to talk about is like um, modern day, like streaming services like Spotify and Pandora Mm -hmm. and YouTube music. Do you think that has like a actual like big effect on the fact that we're not seeing a lot of like big, like rock bands like that of like, you know, Beatles status or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's a little bit too high of a bar, but like, do you think, Maybe streaming services might have, like, a hand in that, considering how, you know, not saying, you know, hip-hop is evil, but, like, hip-hop is definitely be in the mainstream right now, and I feel like it's pushed on the younger generation a little bit more harder than, like, new rock bands and whatnot. Well, again, I think rock and roll ain't dead, but it does get stale. And really, streaming services aren't that much different than the radio. I mean, it used to be hard to get on the radio, just as it would be hard to get on streaming services. In fact, I think bands have more opportunity than they ever had to just kind of do it themselves, you know? So because the, the listeners have different habits, you know, it used to be the thing is you had to go see a band or you had to listen to them on the radio. And that was kind of it. A lot of word of mouth. I remember the metal, one of the big things about the metal movement, which was a genre, one of the later genres, I actually put, you know, rap. I don't necessarily call it hip hop at first. Cause at first it was called rap and then hip hop came later and hip hop is, you know, also kind of like metal. It has different genres of it, you know, within it. Um, metal bands used to, the fans used to send each other these tapes 
of people they liked that would not be played on the radio, never be played on the radio. And hip hop used to do the exact same thing. They were doing the same thing at the very beginning. They weren't necessarily on the radio station. They would just like trade tapes. You know, you got to hear this guy. You got to hear this guy. So that stuff happened. I don't know if that'll, I mean, that kind of helped those genres. Right now, the streaming services are really just the radio stations in a sense. I mean, still radio stations. I mean, I still can't believe that, you know, my 14-year-old or 13-year-old self would be astonished that I can hear, you know, Master of Puppets on the radio right now. They never played that on the radio back when it came out, even though it was vastly popular by fans only, right? They were selling out every concert. They were wanted, but, and on every magazine, metal magazine, but not in the general public. So streaming services and radio stations aren't really that much different. They choose what they want. They want people to stay on. So I know this because I was in the radio business for a while, and I have friends who are program directors, and they don't, you know, I remember having this conversation with a really good friend who likes a lot of the same music I do, and I'm like, God, you know, I really, I really wish there was a radio station that played more B-sides, you know, because that's one of the things I like, and a B-side being essentially any song that's just not on, a, that's on an album that's not played on the radio or mainstream, so to speak. So everybody has those, especially if you're into albums, like, oh, I love this song, why don't they play this on the radio? Well, there's usually reasons for it. But not that it's good, not that it's not good. It's just they want to keep you on air. They want to keep you listening. So they're going to do the things that keeps you listening. So they do all these tests, and they have all these numbers and data, and especially with streaming services, they can easily pick it up a lot quicker than they used to. They used to have to actually do surveys, and then they would just figure out the numbers. It's a numbers game, right? If we play this song every hour, we're probably going to keep this many people on the radio. And then what does that mean? Well, they need those people to be listening so they can ask for the advertising, which is what keeps them on. I mean, streaming services are partially what, um, there's a free version almost of every one of them, right? Mm -hmm. But there is a paid one, so that helps. That's part of their budgets for sure, but also advertising is a huge part of it. I mean, that's how radio stations work. They need the money from the advertising. So, again, they got to have something interesting for people to listen to, and then they look at the numbers, and some songs do better than others, you know. There's definitely songs that I cannot stand to this day because I've overheard them on the radio station. And some people love them. They're like, oh, it's a great song because maybe they just didn't hear it as often, right? And I can give you a long list of songs where I'm like, ugh, I don't want to ever hear that on the radio station again. Like like Freebird? <laughs> well, Freebird would be a good, good example. Yep. Um, I'm thinking of, let's see, there's a, uh, there's a Pearl Jam song that even flow by Pearl Jam. I wanted to just like, if I hear it, I want to put an you know, ice pick in my ear. And I like Pearl Jam. I love Pearl Jam. I used to be part of their fan club too. So, but that song, if I hear it, it's just like, oh, uh, oh, the uh, Iron um, Black Sabbath's Iron Man, another one that most people have heard, drives me nuts. I can't hear that song ever again. It just drives me nuts. And I love Black Sabbath. So there's the examples of songs I just can't hear again. You know? That's the uh, that's something I also notice is that like the way that like earworms kind of die off, and then they, you know, they, I guess, like you know ravage the new generation mm-hmm. with their because like that's funny that's a good what did you call it earworm earworm yeah <laughs> i like that like yeah, uh sure. like Freebird. yeah i'd never heard it whatsoever i didn't even know that it was like that big and like i heard it on like you know some joke videos sure. and whatnot and i was like this actually yeah. this is this is good Freebird. and then you know that's usually what people would call out at concerts i've been to a lot of live shows and even to this day <laughs> you might hear a Freebird, you know out there and play that song Anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. But like, yeah, like it's a really famous song. Then it yeah. kind of dies down, and the new yeah. newer generation kind of picks it back up, makes it its own, mm-hmm. and then we get sick of it. 
Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, the cycle kind of moves on. Like, you know, what you said about, like, Iron Man. Like, I personally would think that, like, maybe, uh, like, War Pigs. War like, Pigs was, like... See, now I like that one. Yeah, Still but, like, day. it's... It probably just played more better. often now. Uh-huh. You're probably hearing a lot more than you did when I, when I first probably. played. The one that they would always play was Iron Man before. Mm-hmm. So, now when I hear War Pigs, I'm like, oh, it's great. And talk about a song that just literally is the blues just turned up. Great song by itself. And it talks about war, which doesn't seem to ever stop either like there's always a war so it is a war anti-war song you know and so it's a, it's always a relevant lyric wise so yeah that's a song I, that's funny but that you're right everybody's got their own opinion on stuff i'm sure and it does go in and out of generations and i'm you know sometimes it's like a movie or a tv show i know this whole thing with the master of puppets with metallica they were pretty surprised by it they were all four of them using it and it made sense for the tv show uh, stranger things that it would be in there but they did not expect it to get that popular. And like I said, I can hear it on the radio now, and I'm like, what? Why? How? Like, <laughs> I never thought I'd hear the day that that song, because it's not a radio song at all by any sense. I mean, the method for radio is keep it fairly short, can't be long. That used to be one of the things. Like, don't ever put a long song. As a, D, as a former DJ, I remember we had a couple long songs, so if I had to go to the bathroom and go do something else real quick, there's a 10-minute song somewhere. You know, I think the one joke was always like in a God of the Vita was because it's like a eight minute long song or something from the sixties that they would used to play. But there are other songs. I had a rush song that was like 10 minutes. So I had 10 minutes. I could go do something because that, that song will just keep playing, you know, and I didn't care if anybody liked it or not. It was just, they're going to hear it because I need to go somewhere. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, no, my, uh... the, the blueprint is short, move on to the next one, mm-hmm. you know? So masters is like a eight minute long song. It was not radio friendly. And yet, now they don't care. They play it on the radio now, which is kind of weird. I don't. Radio business is different than it used to be. They got to fight all these streaming services, so they got a lot more comp. So they got to do what they got to do to keep people on. And like I said, my friend who's he's like, you're never going to hear those B songs because I got to keep the listeners. You know, radio's not for you. As he pointed right to me, he goes, "This radio station's not for you. You've got your own music. You listen to your stuff. You like B sides. Listen to B sides. You know, radio's not trying to get you. They're trying to get someone else." Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's a uh, what did you say? Uh, a song? No, not. You said something that made me think about the uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, I, I wanted to get your opinion <laughs> on. Yeah, <laughs> we could talk. I could talk another hour on that one if you wanted me to. Uh, I go in and out with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They need to have something. I mean, I'm I'm glad we have it. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we all can experience it if we want to. I haven't been to it yet, but it is on my list. It's unfortunately in Cleveland, and if you've ever been to Cleveland, I've been there once. Once, never again. Um, and I will go. I can go deep on my feelings about people from Cleveland at a different time. I won't do it on here, but uh, it's not exactly a destination spot. Let's just say that. Now, what would be? I've always had in my mind that I would love to do like a rock and roll, uh, rock and roll Hall of Fame. I'm also a football fan. Canton, Ohio, which is in the same state, would be cool to go to the football Hall of Fame and then go up to Toronto, which isn't that far away to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Those three would be the three that I would love to go to, personally. And they're not that far apart. So I've always had this idea, but I think I'll wait till I retire to do something like that because there's a lot of walking around and just looking at stuff. But anyways, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame needs to be there. I'm glad it's there. Some of the process for how they put certain people into it is questionable to me. I don't quite understand it sometimes. I mean, they, they make certain bands wait a long time. I mean, the only criteria, technically, is that you have to wait 25 years from when your first album was made to qualify. Mm. But that doesn't even necessarily mean you're even going to be up to get into it. 
much like it is with any Hall of Fame, but some Hall of Fames allow you know have like news you know, sports writers pick it, which has its flaws for sure. Some just have elders and people who are in like football. I think probably does it the best. The NFL probably does the best Hall of Fame. They do it the right way. It's people who are in the Hall of Fame and people from that era, those eras, the older eras, the ones that are going to enter the Hall of Fame, right? That should be deciding who's in it, right? They know they know way more than us as fans, as writers, right? Writers have their opinions and they hold them. <laughs> and so the same goes for music too. I mean, we were talking about that already about opinions, right? On certain things. So you got people who hold grudges against bands and people. I mean, it's, there are a few like heavy metal in general. I know I'm bringing it up again, but they've, and, and even rap to that extent, those two genres being the youngest two are having a tough time getting their best representatives in there. And they're only getting the top ones, right? They're not getting the ones that also fans love and should be included in the Hall of Fame, right? And you'll get people like, I remember Metallica, when they got in, of course they were going to be the first metal band, real metal band. I mean, I shouldn't say it. Black Sabbath did get in first, if I want to be correct about that. <laughs> but they didn't say anything like what Metallica did. They like they had a long list of people that, and Lars Ulrich is a very much a history buff, music history buff. So he came prepared, had a long his, list, you know, and, and uh, I've had uh, rappers, the, some, almost, uh, what was it, LL Cool J went up there and said a whole bunch of people that he feels should be in here next too, you know. So that part is always confusing me, and that's where most people have their biggest problem is who decides, like, what are they going off of? And then more recently, the Hall of Fame did this thing where people get to vote, but this, this year was a complete debacle because only one of the top five voted people actually got in. So then they went ahead and voted all these people who were not popular, apparently, by the fans enough to get in. They didn't make the top five. Only one did, George Michael. And to his credit, he should get in. I mean, he, he has got the credentials to get in. You know, it's not necessarily my style of music, but I know enough about him and that he would deserve Hall of Fame at some point, for sure, especially now. But yeah, there's just no, but the four bands, the other four people who are on that top five list that won the voting from two down, Cindy Lauper didn't get in and definitely should. Uh, I think Soundgarden, Iron Maiden, who've been on this list for a while, did not get in. <laughs> and that's the one that the, their fans are probably the most upset, me being one of them. Mm-hmm. And then there was one other person, I can't remember who it was. Anyways, they didn't get in either. So it was a little disappointing. But So I go up and down with the Hall of Fame. Again, we need it. I just wish they were a little bit more transparent, if I use a current word, on how people get in, you know? Yeah, personally, like I am a massive Chris Cornell fan, mm. so like that. How anybody could not be, but yes. Some of the selections were just kind of, I, I want to use the word ick, I guess. Mm. That's the best way I can really describe it, is that like, I've kind of gone back and forth on like, what should we even call it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anymore, mm. if yes. it doesn't actually have rock and roll Artists, yeah, but so, then again, what do you consider rock and roll? That's too. that's the thing. Is like, well, it's a pretty broad. I still say that there's a that's a broad umbrella now. It used to be very simple. It used to be very simple. It's not so simple anymore. It's it's there's so many genres, and you can rock and roll is really a, a culture, right? It's actually a culture altogether, and it's got its own history and its genres and everything. It's, it's just one giant thing now. Like you can really put anything in it. I think the only thing you can't put in rock and roll would be like classical music, you know. Obviously, that's not anything rock and roll about that. Although you could probably make a claim for it. That's about the only music that I can think of right off the top of my hand that I would be like, "Well, that's not rock and roll." Otherwise, everything kind of falls under it because you're an innovator, or it's popular, or 
there's a style attributed to it because rock and roll really was the using the middle finger at people who were listening to music before. So if you're still doing that, if that genre is still doing that, kind of it's kind of rock and roll. <laughs> but I, I see your point. It is your opinion, and you know, everybody's got one on this. So it's you know it's an opinion I'll always fight with my entire life. Yes, you will, and you're gonna hear many sides of it. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of want to maybe just get into like some like. I, I want to say band recommendations, I guess, because mm. I'm sure, you know, a lot of listeners would want to, like, you know, have some light shed on some lesser popular bands that are amazing in their own right. Yeah, I mean, I guess my best recommendation would be it really, like, you, you got to go in decades. It's best to go in decades, in my opinion, because the music does change every decade. And then it, you can kind of, like, solidify it, like, you just say... 50s these are the bands you should here's probably a good list of the bands you'd see in the 50s or hear listen to from the 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s uh, even 2000s i mean sadly i can only say there's about five or six bands that i think are truly innovative enough that came from the aughts or the early 2000s that weren't from the 90s that i actually like so i can see it like slowing down for me as far as new music goes like this last decade ugh, the teens i I'm sure there's a couple, but it's definitely getting less and less. So if I was going to recommend or give any recommendations, like I said, I would go by decades and like each decade, you got to listen to certain bands. Like I would say the sixties, just off the top of my head, you got to listen to the Beatles. You got to listen to the beach boys. You got to listen to the who as much as I hate to say this because they're one of my parents' bands and I really don't like them. The Rolling Stones, they are great, but personally, nah, I'm a fan. You know, you got to listen to Dylan. You finally, you know, plugged in. You got to listen to his stuff, you know, especially from the 60s. And then I can't forget Zeppelin. Zeppelin's one of my favorites of all time. So, and they were really influential for me. But Zeppelin and I, I won't say Sabbath because Sabbath technically is 70 on. So then from then you get in the 70s and you have bands like Black Sabbath and Aerosmith, which is my favorite Aerosmith, by the way, the old Aerosmith from like 70 to 85. That's my favorite. I always love how, like, you know, they're the best. Like long-lasting bands, you got actually. Oh, yeah. Then you got a section that yeah. makes it like what? It's true. Know, uh, I can't really say like all this. Like, you know what? I I could never listen to the Stones '83 on. I barely can listen to them beforehand, but they are great. So you got to have them include. Uh, still in the '70s, you got to listen to bands. You know, like you got to you got to have Bowie in there, Jackson Five. I mean, you start getting into like Marvin Gaye. Even you got got to listen to him. I mean, got to have that. Bob Marley is seventies, even though I think he's really technically more. No, he was he was he was seventies. Yeah, I think he was seventies. I was about to say maybe eighties, but I was like, no, oh, he was still plugging away. But then he died, and I think he died in the eighties. So I mean, that happens with a lot of rock and roll. You know, these artists die. Oh, Jimi Hendrix. Geez, how could I forget that in the sixties? <laughs> I mean, he was a game changer all the way for sure. I'm definitely is another guy you have to listen to. He only had about two or three albums, and to this day. When I hear it, I have an actual Jimi Hendrix album, Are You Experienced? And it's just like every song is a hit. Every one of them is. Anyways, Van Halen in the 70s. Uh, that's my favorite Van Halen. There's a lot of big bands. It's, and then what happened, on, unfortunately, in the 70s, you also have this period of the disco era, which there's some good stuff in there, though. I mean, I did see Saturday Night Fever was a big album, big movie, and it had a big album, and the Bee Gees were really good, even though they would hate to be called... Bee Gees were plugging along for a long time, so they would hate to be called disco. But they did play disco music. Even Kiss did a disco song, which is hilarious, by the way. Yeah, it was a big thing. But then punk came in there. Uh, and I've it starts, I mean, all these genres come in, and they start 
feeding more genres. And then the eighties are more about really, it got back into pop again. I mean, Michael Jackson, Prince, although Prince technically is rock, I mean, true rock music right there, but he dabbled into the pop, pop rock for sure. That's how he got popular because he wasn't doing very good. He was only locally known. And then maybe 1999, is that the one with a uh, little red Corvette? Little red Corvette was kind of like the one that he had songs before that. He was a songwriter forever. So he was giving people songs, but I would say little red Corvette was the one that really got him, got him going. And it's a great song, but it is very eighties when you listen to that. Then you get in the nineties, it's all grunge boy bands <laughs> and see how you get to like the two thousands and the teens currently and now we're in the 20s which is very strange for me to say until i just said it that we're currently in the 20s right now mm-hmm. had a little late start to the 20s didn't we something happened i can't remember what it was but it did give us a little late start to where we are like where are we oh yeah we're in the 20s the bands are a lot of them are just emulations of the previous bands it's hard to, like i was saying at the very beginning it's hard how do you know when you're not going to hear anything really all that new it just gets really saturated but it does usually bring on something even more new that we've never heard before, possibly. You know, I don't know. It's hard to say. I, I don't think it's dead. It's never going to be dead. Those recommendations will get you there, and then you just kind of keep looking for what you like. I mean, I think from what I had as a kid, less options. You, being a teenager in the current state, you have a lot of options. It would be, you know, when I when you first asked, like, a favorite band, it's like, whew, I don't know, I have... 350 albums i've seen you know well over 300 and some shows all different people it'd be hard for me to narrow down one i've had a lot of choices and you do too you have a lot of choices so it would be um i wouldn't say get stuck in a genre i think people should be more open but you like what you like like i said i identify as a metalhead it's my favorite but i like a lot of music so you just got to be open to music i think you just listen to what it feels good to you and again rock roll ain't going nowhere (laughs) ain't going nowhere so, like, basically, do you have any modern bands that you listen to that aren't, like, you know, I, I don't want to say oldies because that feels disrespectful, <laughs> but, like, you know, older guys who are still playing, not older guys who well, are still playing. I'm old, so <laughs> any of those bands that are all the people that are, like, my age, I mean, I absolutely listen to them. Um, and I think they're still, some of them are still relevant. The, the, some of the bands that are becoming hard to be relevant anymore are, like, you know, the Stones and well, those guys are 80. Paul McCartney's 80-something. I mean, those guys are getting old now. And some of them still plug away at their music. I don't know. Uh, yeah, a very that's big, a, like, modern-day band. I have a tough time with some of the modern-day stuff. I agree. Just yeah. because it, I just feel like it's just saturated. Now, Alec, current student here, has been really getting on me about this band he really loves, Ice Nine Kills. And I've heard a little bit. He, I said that I would listen to all of their stuff I made you know, before he graduates. Um, and I will. But it's it's a genre like uh, I, I go. It's very similar to Avenged Sevenfold, which is a modern metal band, I guess, rock band. It's hard to say, but it, they they do this thing where they they make some great songs because they're very, um, but they're pretty intricate. They're it's not basic at all. It's very intricate, and it, it it changes throughout the song. A lot of their songs change. It doesn't start. You know what I'm used to is like the four minute, three minute song, and just kind of kind of keeps going. But I do like tempo changes and complete changes from like you're hearing something that's really loud and then it gets really soft and then it gets loud again or something like that. Right. This band does it. And a lot of these newer bands tend to do that more often and they do it pretty well. Like they make these changes very quick and they look, they sound seamless. And I don't know if it's because technology has gotten better, 
but it seems like something that would be really hard to reproduce live without some kind of backing tracks to help you make that change. Personally, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm going to see him live when I see Metallica in a couple of years. <laughs> Apparently they're opening on the second day. So I'm, maybe I'll get to see some of that, but uh, yeah, that's a band that I'm trying to really get into to see, you know, basically I'm, I'm not being forced, but you know, I said, I'm going to listen to them. So I'm going to do it, but I've told them it's not exactly my favorite genre of metal. It's just not. So yeah, sometimes you need that little, you know, kick in the pants yeah. to try something new. Absolutely. And there's not, and I'm not afraid of trying something new. And that's the thing is I, I think everybody should just not be afraid of it. And I think for your guys' generation, this is new to, this stuff is new to you and you don't have a lot of the history that I have. So it's harder to like, the newer stuff because you love this and so it's really hard to like open yourself up and say oh yeah this is as good but i can tell you technically and the sound wise it is very very good music so yeah so it's it's nice to be like you know optimistic and like i yeah i shared the same you know opinion that like rock has been it's so transformative that it can never really die yeah and uh yeah i'm i'm hopeful. very hopeful and opt- optimistic of the future Uh, Thank you for joining the Face to Face podcast. We'll see you next time.